Don Luca, smoke you like my hookah Pump fake right, then I step back in illusion That's a boss move maneuver, billionaire entrepreneur Mark Cuban on the viewer, put you rookies on a skewer I stay shitting on you boys like I came up from the sewer Used to have a lot of dollars, now I got a lot fewer What you saying to me? I hope you save it for me I'm about to kill the game, and I put it in my testimony All right, welcome to the Mainstream Mass Podcast. This is your host, Will. I'm joined here by my co-host, Jaren. What is up, guys? Today, we are going to be getting into the Mavericks 111 to 105 victory over the Detroit Pistons. Luka Doncic with his fourth 50-plus point effort of the season. He very much had to carry the Mavericks to the finish line this one. It was a game that they wouldn't have been in without him by any stretch of the imagination, I definitely would probably denote this game uh, quite the literal definition of the Mavericks need to get Luka Doncic help because I have been kind of putting off um, labeling the title of a podcast that for some time, you know, I I felt like it obviously was just a little bit unfair to some of the, you know, the cast of players on the Mavericks team and what have you. And, you know, I just wanted to give them their due diligence there. I mean, even if, Luca doesn't have the best supporting cast. You know, it these are NBA players and these are capable guys. And but I, I feel like today, uh the, this was kind of the uh straw that broke the camel's back for me. What what was your um summation of this game from the perspective of how much of a load Luca had to carry in this game, Jaren? Yeah, I mean, we knew pretty much at the start of the season that it would be a huge load on Luca, but I think and we've seen it multiple times this season, but I think that this this game definitely entails, you know, what all Luca has to do for the Mavericks to even have a shot at winning. Uh, I know if some guys hadn't stepped up in the fourth quarter, the scoreboard would probably look different. But either way, uh, I mean, Luca, what fifty three of our one hundred eleven points? Like that's crazy. Uh, no guy should have to do that. But unfortunately, uh, in Dallas, we have to rely on one dude to pretty much score half the team's points to even have you know a fifty fifty shot at winning the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, fortunately, we ended on the good side of that 50-50, but yeah, this was definitely one where you feel for that guy, and uh, I mean, he definitely needs help. Now, will that help come? I mean, who knows, but uh, yeah, this is one where you you look at the box sheet, and you're like, wow, like this team is bad without him, and I mean, we saw that against the Jazz, and uh, I don't know, this is, this is another case of what we've seen all season long. Yeah, no, 100%. I mean, obviously, to preface, Maxi Kleber still out with that hamstring tear, Christian Wood still in this little brief absence with his thumb injury. But the Mavericks, to say the very least, I mean, they have at least performed mildly better in games. Um, you know, with well, obviously they've performed, you know, tenfold better than this effort tonight versus the 13 and 39 Pistons in games with those individuals out, you know, Wood and Maxi. Uh, I mean, tonight was really just like one of those inexcusable win or uh, you know, inexcusable performances rather. And I feel like they've had too many of these up until this point to where I just would want to write it off as a sort of one-off scenario or something like that. We, we see this sort of 50-50 dynamic with the Mavericks where they're on, for whatever reason, some nights, if they shoot the lights out, they're capable of beating anybody in the NBA. And then a lot of the time they tend to kind of bog down and play down to their opponent. And that was the case tonight. And, you know, a large part of it is roster personnel, and, um, you know, not having the proper depth to, um, you know, honestly, I don't even know how stylistic it is. Like, you know, you can really debate fit all you want, but at the end of the day, like the Mavericks just don't have talent to surround with Luca. And I mean, they're obviously this, uh, this game to an extent was, um, obviously a very blatant, uh, you know, mishap and underperformance for the Mavericks, but at the end of the day, to an extent, it does come at a good time with the trade deadline on February 9th looming around the corner and the Mavericks uh, management potentially being hard-pressed to do something. So we'll get into that a little bit. Uh, we do have our trade deadline podcast primer on the horizon. We will be going through a lot of trades and things of that nature uh, probably here in the next couple of days. We're going to go ahead and get that out to you as the trade deadline looms around the corner. Um, but before we go ahead and get into this game and how the Mavericks, you know, really outside of Luka besides that, uh, first six minute stretch of the fourth quarter by the in the non Luca minutes by the Mavericks bench, um, how they look just completely flat tonight, and uh, Luca was left helpless to an extent. 
Um, before we get into that and the dynamics of this game, here's an ad from our sponsor, Anchor. All right, Jaron, so getting into this one, here with Luka Doncic's 53-point performance versus the Detroit Pistons, his fourth 50-plus point performance of the season. First thing I wanted to get into before we start of start hashing out all the negatives in terms of the Mavericks contributing role players and things of that nature. There were some positives. I will preface that much. It was not just all um, grim on that side of things, but I wanted you to sort of dissect Luca's game because in a game where he scores 53 um, in regulation tied for the, you know, he ties his own record for the highest scoring single game performance in Mavericks history with, uh, with no overtimes. I feel like it's only fair that we, give credit where it's due and we, you know, we fully dissect this masterclass from him just from how uber efficient he was 17 of 24 yeah. and shooting 14 of 18 from uh, the free throw line, five of 11 from field from the field out of all his, you know, 50 plus point performances thus far, this definitely seemed as if it was the most efficient and sort of easy one. If that makes sense. It just seemed like it came with almost no hard labor on his part, even though obviously it did. Um, just in terms of the way he carried himself, his mannerisms throughout the game. He's just, you know, coming right off of an ankle injury, him saying post-game that his ankle wasn't even 100% quite yet. It was very much wildly impressive. So what did you have to make of it? And, you know, he starts that first quarter off with 24 points in that first quarter. He's cooking with grease right off the bat. He kind of carries it out throughout the game. Did you foresee him having a big night tonight? And what sort of um, – and just sort of speak to the way in which he was able to score tonight from all three levels. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm going to be honest. I didn't think the guy would play. I know he was listed as questionable on Sunday night, I believe. Uh, but I, I'm going to be honest. I really didn't think that he would play. I thought his first game uh, would be, I think it's like Thursday versus the Pelicans. Uh, but nonetheless, we did get to see Luca and he was listed as playing. Uh, and yeah, I mean, he just started out the gates, you know, as you mentioned, 24 of the 30 Mavericks points in the first quarter. At one point, he had like 15 of 17 of the of the first quarter points, like just incredible feats that this guy was hitting um, all in 12 minutes of play. Uh, and just the fashion that he was able to get to the hoop. It was masterclass in the sense that it looked easy, but, you know, it's not like it, it's crazy how efficient he was because he was hitting some tough shots. Uh, as you mentioned, 17 of 24 from the field, like a crazy efficient night. I think this is this was probably his most efficient uh, 50 point or 60 point, whatever you, however you want to look at it. Um, performance uh, probably in his career. Uh, and he went an incredible five of 11 from three point line. Like he didn't hack up bad shots. You know, we usually see whenever he's putting up these 11 three pointers per game, like he's usually throwing up, you know, stupid shots or just a casual step back. But we didn't see that. We saw like smart taken. Uh, you know, he got the mismatch and he would take it either to the hoop or he would just line him up and then hit a step back three. Uh, that's kind of like what we saw out of Luca. Um, and there's not really, you look on the Detroit side of things, there's not really a guy that can straight, straight up defend uh, Luca. I mean, I know that they had Sadiq Bey on him for, I believe, the whole entire first quarter, but clearly you know, 24 of 30 points, that's not going to cut, cut it to work. Um and I mean, heck, they even had an assistant coach out there guarding him at some point. So um, they were going back and forth and chirping. Uh, but yeah, I mean, there's there's really not a guy on this on the Detroit Pistons roster that can even compete with Luca. And this is just another case of it. Um, at times, we would see Ivy uh, and you know Sadiq Bay sort of double team him. But it, you know, at one point, I want to say Luca laughed at it whenever he saw Jane Ivy coming over to double. Uh, I mean, that's just sort of what we saw out of Luca. It was honestly just a casual 53-point performance, one where he really didn't have to do a whole lot, one where, you know, getting inside was just easy. Um, and again, I mean, he finished some tough shots, but it, super efficient, uh, whether it was getting inside or the three-point line. It was it was crazy. Uh, he even had some turnaround jumpers at the mid-range. I mean, there's really nothing that this guy could do, or uh, really nothing that this guy can't do, uh, and nothing that the defense could do to even stop him. Yeah, I mean, on the Detroit side of things, I don't think that, you know, you alluded to them not being them not having a guy that can compete with Luca on that end. I mean, obviously, I don't think there's a, def a defender in the NBA that's going to be able to compete with Luca and just shut him down by any means. But obviously, there are guys that we've seen give him trouble and limit him at times. Uh, but certainly, Detroit doesn't even have a guy, um, you know, comparable to that that's going to be able to 
do that to any sort of extent, you know, barring it's uh, Sadiq Bay, maybe through stretches, but even him, he obviously uh, failed pretty extraordinarily tonight in that endeavor. So, I mean, just in terms of the way that Luca manipulated the game on offense tonight, this was definitely out of all his um, highly coveted performances, you know, games where he scored over 50 or, you know, just signature games, things of that nature. I thought that this was definitely the most mentally savvy one from the perspective of how he was operating on offense. Uh, he was reading the, uh, you know, side from which the double teams were coming from and when he was getting trapped and he was going, he would literally just drive to the rim the other way accordingly. I remember that uh, possession where he did that and got easy layups. He was just diagnosing driving and passing lanes to an absolute T, uh, taking exactly what the defense gave him, whether they went over or under on a screen. Um, this wasn't a game, you know, we've seen Luca sometimes at points be kind of indecisive when he gets to the painted area, uh, especially if there is a really good rim protector on the other team, you know, Jalen Duran, he's a guy who's, you know, definitely trying to develop into that mold, but needless to say, he still has some defensive, um, you know, some of the sort of the mental um, atonements of defense and things of that nature. He's still trying to get down, you know, he's still a rookie. He hasn't quite got all the intangibles there yet. And I thought Luca did a really good job of just taking what the defense gave him, not being indecisive when he got into that painted area. Yeah, you know, he was going up. He was using the post to his advantage. Um, you know, once he started really attacking and drawing that defense in, he and, you know, Detroit would go under on screens. He was pulling that step back free, but it wasn't some sort of overt abuse. He wasn't trying to... Uh, you know, just keep chucking because he was hot. If he did get trapped, he was using the drag dribble and the pass to the uh, outlet guy in the four and three scenarios accordingly. You know, admittedly, Detroit didn't double team him a whole lot in this game, but when they did, he was making the right read. And I mean, it just looked like so savvy and easy. Yet, I think the average fan watching this just would not understand the intricacies and the scenarios that he's playing out in his head as he's reading the game offensively in a game like this to you have to be able to foresee every little thing that's going to happen just in terms of diagnosing if a driving lane is going to be open or if, you know, he's going to pull a step back or, you know, there's some scenarios where he, you know, off of offensive rebound situations, he cut directly to the rim or even had a few give and goes. Like you really saw the full diversification of his game outside of maybe on offense, at least outside of him, like setting off ball screens and, you know, being used in that manner, which, you know, just due to the play style of the Mavericks isn't really something that's applicable. So in terms of the diet of how he was scoring tonight, just from the way of which he scored, you know, via the post, via, um, you know, attacking, via, you know, obviously his step back threes and, you know, via operating in that mid range, uh, it was probably like one of the more complete offensive performances I've seen from him. And it was a really good game. Um, but, you know, I obviously, like we talked about in the intro, how he seemingly carried the Mavericks in this game. Why was that, Jaron? I want you to talk about the supporting cast as a whole. Uh, what specifically, you know, we can definitely uh, sort of iron out some different positives and, you know, then nitpick guys accordingly, you know, on an individual basis. But as a whole, where did the Mavericks fail tonight to, you know, at one point in the third quarter, they were down by like 11 uh, to this Detroit Pistons roster, who's now 13 and 39, uh, seemingly dead in the water, doesn't even, you know, Kate Cunningham's been out all year. This is a very, very weak roster. Like there were, the average NBA fan probably doesn't know a lot of the guys that were playing in this game for the Pistons. Um, so where did the Mavericks fail in terms of being able to apply pressure after the, a hot start uh, where they got up 10-0 early in that first quarter and they just kept leaving the door open to the point on offense and defense that the Pistons looked like they were about to run away with the game in the third quarter. Yeah, I mean, the Mavericks, I mean, it's pretty simple. Like, their DNA is uh, let Luca either go to work and stand out the corner and wait for the ball to come to you or, you know, try and get some off-ball work. Uh, and that's something the Mavericks just didn't really have the luxury of doing. Uh, it kind of seems like, especially these last few weeks, whenever we have seen Luca pretty much just turn into God mode, um, he's not going to pass. Uh, I think this was, and not to say he didn't pass, but this was another case of him just saying, all right, like, you know, I have to put the team on my back once again, so let's go to work. Um, we saw at times, you know, guys were actually making shots, whether it was between um, 
Bullock, he got hot there. Uh, I know Josh Green hit a few. Like there was a, a number of guys that actually started getting things going. But in terms of just shooting, uh, the the Mavericks had a pretty bad shooting night. They shot 29% for three. Um, and it, free throw line was awful. I, th- I think that's pretty much just said. Um, but yeah, like I, I think the team just really couldn't find a way. Like to Detroit's credit, they did a pretty good job of either allowing Luca because that you know that's how teams kind of have to work with the Mavericks is either are we going to let Luca beat us or are we going to let the surrounding cast beat us um at times Detroit would switch it and they let the, the they would let Luca pass the ball to you know a corner with Josh Green or Reggie Bullock whoever it was uh and that's kind of where you know Detroit started getting back in this game um but whenever they let Luca really go to work it was whenever we saw the 24 point performance in the first half or in the first quarter and things like that like the nature that the Mavericks really just couldn't score and was really only because of the surrounding cast. I mean, like I said, to Detroit's credit, they were pretty good at, you know, guarding other guys, um, whether it was inside or what. But, yeah, I mean, whenever it comes to Luka, there was just no stopping him in this matchup. And that's really where the offense just bolt uh, was just allowing Luka to go to work, um, spreading the floor, letting him have open lanes. Like, there was multiple times where he had, like, the mismatch, he would abuse it by just pretty pretty much beating him off the first step. Uh, and then there would be the defender stepping up and Luca would do, you know, some may say this is an athletic, but this is clearly athletic where he would do like his super slow Euro step uh, and just pretty much step over the guy and then get a wide open layup. Uh, that's kind of what the really bulk of the offense was, was just stuff like that where guys just spread the floor. Um, but like I said, it was a bad shooting night. I think that's kind of where the Mavericks failed uh, in terms of, as a team effort. Um, and yeah, I mean, just guys, you know, we didn't really see any drives outside of um, really Luca's handful of drives that he had, you know, Spencer had himself a few times and then Dorian, of course, uh, and as well as Josh, but that was pretty much about it as far as like offense goes. Yeah. I think that the point that you were trying to make at the end there, that there was really like no offensive creation until that fourth quarter, when we saw Dinwiddie start to go to work a little bit in those non-Luka minutes, you could tell throughout stretches in this game that he was burnt out after those two 35-plus point performances in those games against Phoenix and the Jazz, respectively. And with the Mavericks seemingly having no other outside offensive creation, Christian Wood still being out, I think, was a huge part of that as well. Uh, they were just hard-pressed to be able to generate anything in the half court. And we saw, you know, you know, you talked about Dorian and Josh driving a few times, but I mean, even in both of those instances, those are typically plays where, you know, an off-ball screen is set and then they end up getting a mismatch. And Luca ends up typically kind of curating those driving lanes for them by, you know, setting up, setting them up in a favorable mismatch where, they, where they're able to just blow by a guy at the wing. It's not like they're, you know, sizing a guy up into a mid-range jump shot. The only other guy on this roster that can do that is Spencer Dinwiddie outside of Luca. Yes. So I'm like – we've been hammering for weeks on end now. I mean, it kind of just comes down to personnel in terms of the offensive failures in this game. Defensively, uh, the Mavericks, I I don't know if they did necessarily a terrible job, but at the same time, this Pistons team is very, very bad. And the fact that they just kept letting them have the, have the door open and they just kept letting them in was definitely disheartening. Admittedly in those final moments uh, of the fourth quarter, those waning moments of the game, Bojan Bogdanovic was making some really, really tough shots uh, with some good defense. And that's what kind of kept this from, you know, being a maybe a 10 plus point win, you know, a sizable margin of victory for the Mavericks to a clutch time victory. Uh, but even so, you know, the Pistons shouldn't have led for large stretches in this game. Um, seemingly, you know, because of the Mavericks, de- so what, what some of the Mavericks defense uh, was giving up to them and, you know, we, I also must preface that, I mean, some of the point-of-attack ball handlers for the Pistons were having just an absolutely atrocious shooting night. Like, Killian Hayes went 3-for-16 tonight. Sadiq Bey, he went 5-for-15. Uh, all of those threes, he, but he missed seemingly everything from, um, you know, that mid-range area or in terms of getting into the paint. Jaden Ivey had a pretty good game, but he exited early with foul trouble, only played 21 minutes. This was a Detroit roster that, as depleted as they already are in terms of their roster personnel, was even more so depleted by having a couple guys have some pretty extreme off nights and some foul trouble. Yet the Mavericks still conceded um, 
you know, really up until the fourth quarter, um, uh, Detroit was playing a, a pretty affluent offense uh, to which the Mavericks didn't have much of an answer for. What do you think was the reason for the Mavericks um, really bad defensive lapses in this game? I mean, to me, I think it's pretty simple. I think Detroit did a really good job of attacking, uh, whether it was Isaiah Stewart, you know, he got some wide open shots inside uh, and even Duran. Um Guys, yeah, I just think it was it was a point of attacking. Like Jay Nivey, he's such a good driver, uh, and even though he's like only a rookie, like he's done a really good job of being able to free the offense up in just terms of driving, uh, and that's really what we saw last night against the Mavs. Um, at times, it just kind of looked like it looked like Detroit was. Of course, they want to get to the foul line. Uh, I think that the first overall team whenever it comes to foul shooting, um, but they were relying on the Mavericks to foul. Uh, and that's really what I saw was just a sense of not not anything, I, I, not a desperate team or anything like that. Detroit just did a really good job of like sticking with the Mavs or at some point, I think they were up by 11 at one point um, because of the foul line, uh, because of the mid-range shots, like shots like that. And, you know, in doing so, whenever you're driving, it's going to create open shots at the three-point line. Now, they didn't have an amazing three-point shooting night. Uh, but even still, they had enough shots to or enough drives, I guess, to open up and free up that three point line. Uh, and then from there, it's just simple kickouts uh, or, you know, around the horn type scenarios. Uh, and that's sort of what we saw out of Detroit. And for the Mavericks, I mean, you know, whenever they're driving, whenever Detroit is driving inside, like the Mavs don't really have anybody that can do anything. Uh, I mean, we saw JaVale McGee, you know, of course, he got his 10 minutes checked in uh, where he honestly had a pretty efficient um, 10 minutes. It was a little lackluster on defense and that's kind of where we saw him just sort of exit. Uh, and that's, you know, like I said, just attacking the hoop and getting to the foul line and the Mavs don't have a guy that can stop that. Uh, Dorian, you know, he did as good of a job as he could. He honestly had a pretty good defensive night. Um, and outside of that, I mean, there's, like I said, it was just hard pressed to get inside the paint um, and score that way, either getting to the foul line or kickouts. Um, and for the Mavericks credit or not to the Mavericks credit, but like to the Detroit's credit is they did that, um, outside of the fourth quarter, of course, but that's really defensively what I saw. <clears throat> and like I said, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't an amazing defense. And, uh, but outside of that Detroit, I mean, they, they're the number one team in foul shooting for a reason. That's, that's what they did. They got to the foul line 29 times or something like that. Yeah. The, them and the Mavericks are actually number one and two in that category. And the rebounding battle absolutely actually ended up being tied um, from offensive, from an offensive and defensive rebounds perspective by both teams, both the Mavericks and the Pistons, both respectively had nine offensive rebounds and 31 defensive rebounds each in this game, which is kind of interesting, but it did seem as if through stretches in that first half that the Pistons were playing with a little bit more effort on the glass. And there were a lot of scenarios where Jalen Duran or Isaiah Stewart were kind of just outworking the Mavericks, uh, especially a Mavericks team that throughout stretches in this game had to kind of concede and go small, something that we've had to, ha we've seen them do uh, fairly prevalently in these games without Christian Wood and Maxi ever since both of those guys have been out, you know, the Mavericks are already undersized from a big men perspective, just in terms of, you know, them not having some sort of premium seven foot big men that can also switch, you know, just the absolute prototype rim protector and switchable defender. Albeit those guys are very limited. They're not just, you know, waving their hands and asking to be, you know, come picked up on the open market. But, the, you know, the Mavericks are already sort of hard pressed in terms of their defensive uh, versatility from a rim protection standpoint. And especially with Maxi and Wood out, we've seen this stretch amplify that even more so with some of these defensive lapses. And, I think definitely kind of where it comes down to me at that standpoint is they just have like, they just have no weak side help. Like if one guy gets beat at the point of attack, they're just absolutely screwed at that point. Because once the big man, uh, you know, Dwight Powell, who is playing the five for a vast majority of these minutes in these games, right. You know, once he has to switch on to a smaller defender or something of that nature, they just don't have the size. They don't have like big enough wings to be able to counteract. Um, when Detroit gets that penetration, is able to dump it off to a Duran or a Stewart, and they can kind of just go straight up. And I mean, both of those, I mean, I think Stewart even missed a few chippies in this game, but the the Mavericks are conceding a lot of points to the dunker spots. And then when they start to clog the paint, that sometimes 
you know, we saw them a little bit last night try to do this where they played some zone, but we've seen it a lot more prevalently in some of these other games. And, you know, once they try to, you know, clog the paint a little bit more, bring more help and, um, you know, try to trap more so uh, from that free throw line area extended downwards, then, you know, that ends up creating problems on the perimeter because, you know, they end up getting beat so oft uh, from that perspective. And, you know, I, I do understand that both the issues of, you know, point of attack defense and rim protection are, you know, to a premium. But I, I do think that the rim protection from the Mavericks perspective could cover up some of these, you know, lapses when guys are getting beat at the point of attack or, you know, when maybe a Mavericks, the Mavericks had a rim protector, if he could recover to the dunker spot a little bit faster. But, you know, with Dwight Powell out there as the lone big man and then when the Mavericks are forced to go small, other teams just kind of abusing the inside, even if it does bode, you know, better for their point of attack defense. Once Detroit is able to break it, they're seemingly screwed and they can get whatever they want at the rim when the Mavericks don't have a big man out there. Um, it, it's just sort of a, a cumulative recipe for disaster. And especially without Maxi and Wood out there, they're just, they're, they're hard pressed to be able to, you know, have the personnel to be able to pull this off, right? Like they don't have, you know, they're not the Clippers where they just have such an excess of three and D wings that they're able to play small. And, you know, those guys can hedge and recover so fast that on smaller big men, they can, you know, they, they have so much size that it's okay. And they can survive those matchups when they get those mismatches and things of that nature, they can still guard up a little bit. They don't have that. They don't have like a Robert Williams with the Celtics last year, you know, switchable five who can defend the rim. And, you know, they're just, I feel like it just comes down to personnel. Like we can get schematic with it as much as they want, you know, whether they're switching more, whether they're playing more zone, they've obviously been switching a lot more recently. I think as a sort of, um, as a sort of uh, mechanism to try and, you know, counteract getting beat as much, you know, they may understand that that's going to lead to more mismatches, but it almost seems as if they're, okay with that they'd rather take a mismatch and take their chances their chances than getting beat at the point of attack because there was a stretch there where Reggie and Tim and Spencer were just getting blown by so much right so we have seen them switch a little bit more but these they're still having these defensive problems and they're still persisting even against really bad teams and uh, to say the least you know it's, it's obviously hard to see but you know we hope that they can make a move around the trade deadline to mend this issue but at the same time as we mention every podcast do they have the assets to facilitate such a thing that that remains to be seen. Um, Jaron, you know, now that we've kind of got past the uh, sort of grim aspect of the defense and sort of all the inconsistencies that happen on that end in this game, you know, let's talk about the role players a little bit individually, uh, what went wrong and what went right in that, in that aspect for them. You know, let's start with the bench for one, since we always do start with the starters. Jaden Hardy only played six minutes tonight and he actually got a little bit of a crack at the rotation after, you know, having not got too many bites at the apple recently, uh, he's kind of fell out of the rotation a little bit. Uh, Frank Nilekina's kind of fell out completely. Uh, but you know, Hardy, it, this kind of looked like a game where, you know, in a game where the Mavericks are still missing, you know, some of that offensive creation with Christian Wood out where he could really harness the opportunity to actually get some run in this game especially against a worse Detroit team where the Mavericks could have really stepped on the pedal, the, you know, put their foot in the pedal and got ahead, but the, there just wasn't the opportunity there for that. But, you know, he only went one for three in six, uh, in six minutes, had a turnover, uh, but, you know, both of his seal goal attempts got blocked. He had a very, you know, he had an and one in that stretch. It was really good where he started out and then he kind of just fell off a cliff right there. And it almost seems as if Jason Kidd benched him. Uh, could you maybe just speak to, you know, some sort of, is there some sort of aspect there to where he's maybe hitting the rookie wall to an extent or, you know, is, and just kind of explain to some Mavs fans that want to see him, you know, already thrust into that starter or six man position already, how he still has a ways to go before he, you know, is obviously developmentally all there, but that's not to say that he is bad or, you know, his game doesn't have a lot of potential because we still think it does. What did you have to make of his performance tonight? Yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty clear, uh, you know, to Jaden's credit, I think he's doing all the right things. Uh, he's going out there. He's having a point. I think he's doing that. Um, now, is he doing that in a positive way? I don't think he's doing that necessarily. Uh, he's still going out there, 
And like I said, he's driving every chance he can get. He's taking every shot he can get. Um, and as a rookie, I think that's the only thing that you can pretty much ask of them. You know, he doesn't have a, a huge role, like you said, like he's sort of kind of falling out of the rotation and everything. Um, and look, I mean, that's just the inconsistencies of a rookie. That's what we're kind of kind of running or that's what we're going to run into. Uh, we kind of figured this at the start of the year. If we did see him, you know, we would probably see him at times just sort of not used. Uh, and that's kind of where I think he's hitting at right now. Um, in terms of this game, he definitely hit. <laughs> I think this was probably the highlight of his rookie wall moment or rookie block moment, however you want to call it, because uh, it seemed like any time, you know, he was driving minus that and one, it kind of seemed like Detroit had his number. Uh, he got like blocked twice in a row and then he got the ball stripped from him the second or the third time he tried to drive. Um, I mean, like I said, like this is one where, you know, Detroit had it out for him. Uh, they made it a point to, you know, not let him drive at least. And they did. Uh, and they did a really good job at it. But yeah, I think if anybody's going to be mad that he's fallen out of the rotation and they're blaming the coaching staff, whatever it is, like, I don't think that's really the right place to blame, put your blame on. And honestly, I don't think there's any any place you can put your blame on. I mean, this is a guy that, again, he's 20 years old. He's he's going to deal with his ups and downs, and this is for sure down. Uh, but yeah, I I still think, and I, I still really like how confident he is. It kind of seems like whenever he gets blocked, he still, you know, gets up really quick and he's running down the other side. Like he's playing super aggressive still. And that's all that you can really ask for, uh, you know, I feel like, especially with these younger guys, uh, they get so discreeted and or they get so discouraged, um, you know, whenever they get blocked on the other end. But with this guy, he's, you know, bounces right back up and goes on the other end. Uh, and again, only six minutes of play tonight or last night. Uh, but still, I think, you know, it's just a rookie wall he's hitting. I'm not I'm not taking too much credence of it. Um, still, I think he's improving every minute he gets out on there. Yeah, I just don't want people to overreact to this too much. Right. Um, because just in terms of the style which this guy plays with you know we we project him as a secondary ball handler and playmaker in the future that that's what he idealistically turns into you know a guy that's going to be able to create his own shot and when he's going to have some inconsistencies in terms of making the wrong play and having an errant turnover or going again going up against two or three people when he shouldn't you know that comes down to a mental aspect but at the end of the day that's fixable the intangibles with which this guy plays with, how savvy he is offensively, some of the moves he's able to make, his athleticism, those those things, you know, those are a lot harder to try and mold into a guy versus fixing out just some of the mental intricacies of it. So I'm not all really too discouraged. I'm still here on the hardy party hype train, um, but we do need to recognize and, you know, be critical of the fact that he obviously had a pretty negative you know, six minutes, even if it was just six minutes. Josh Green had a really good game last night. People were kind of on a rampage on him throughout the first three quarters of the game, uh, you know, kind of saying, oh, you know, he still has a ways to go before he's back fully from injury. He's still going to hit to an extent. But, I mean, I thought he's – I thought honestly I think he's played pretty well in every single game he's played since coming back from that elbow sprain to an extent, barring – I think it was that game after the heat game. He had a little of a rough performance. I can't remember specifically who that was against, but he's still uh, from an offensive perspective, still doing all the things that, you know, we had seen earlier pre-injury, you know, that was a 20 game stretch that he missed. And for the most part, I mean, he picked, he picked up where he left off right off the bat. He, you know, still isn't shooting a high volume of threes, but he's been pretty consistent with them still. He is still attacking off of closeouts or when somebody's dispositioned uh, in terms of how they're guarding him at the end of the shot clock. He's still getting to the rim, getting a couple free throws every game, still running out in transition. Uh, you're, the, you're not, we're not seeing the Mavericks use him in those four and three scenarios as much, but uh, he is being really good as a ball mover. Anytime he gets the ball on the wing and he's forced to drive and the defense collapses and he doesn't have an open driving lane, he's doing a really good good job with those dump off passes and just, you know, being savvy, being able to make the right read, whether that's getting to, to the guy rolling or, you know, segueing that pass to the corner for a three, he's been doing a really good job just in terms of all the things that we've been asking him to do. I thought it was yet another game where he played great defense last night too. He had multiple possessions as the on-ball defender where he was just very, uh, nitpicky only had two fouls he wasn't over fouling 
he was, you know, in guys' wheelhouse. He was, you know, poking off their shins, you know, stripping the ball out of bounds. He had a block. He had a steal in this game. Uh, speak to his activity on the defensive side of things and how his offensive game continues to evolve um, and just how he's been able to hold up after returning from that elbow sprain through his first few games back so far. Yeah, I, I think my only harp on the guy is, and this is me being totally greedy, is I just want to see him shoot more. Uh, just, you know, he's so uber efficient. He always has those three, four stat lines. Like he never really shoots over like seven shots in a game. Uh, and he's always super efficient in doing so. Uh, but yeah, like I said, me being greedy, I just want to see him do more on the offensive end, just take more shots, uh, be more assertive. Uh, and that's just not who he is right now. He's a guy that, yeah, you, he works through the flow of the offense. Uh, whatever you need him to do, he's going to go and do. Um, defensively, I mean, he was everywhere. Uh, like like um, there was multiple times where uh, he just sort of, I don't know, he, he's just so aggressive on ball defending. And even off ball defending, you know, sometimes he'll go off his man, whether like if someone's standing in a corner, whoever he's guarding, uh, like he'll recognize the mismatch, you know, whether it's Tim Hardaway on someone or whatever, maybe like he'll go and recognize that and then just go and uh, like either show a double or he'll actually go full force and just straight up double. Uh, and at times we've seen it kind of hurt the Mavericks. But, you know, we like to see that because that's actually aggressive. I know before he got hurt, he was doing really good on just sort of collapsing as a defender, you know, whenever the big gets inside the paint, he would do a really good job of doubling and forcing the ball out of his hands. Uh, and that's kind of what we saw tonight or last night, sorry, um, where like Jalen Duran would get the ball inside or Isaiah Stewart, whoever it was, uh, and he would just do a really good job of collapsing. Um, I mean, he's a, he's a really good, you know, just defensive minded guy, whether it's help side or you know, on ball, like there's really not a hole in this guy's defensively. There's not a hole in his, in his, uh, wheelhouse like he's just really good defender he's a really good defender um but I think you know defensively he was just pretty much everywhere he was really aggressive uh even on the offensive end he was really assertive driving dumping off to the dunker spot whoever it was Dorian or you know Dwight Powell whoever it was uh he was doing a really good job of that um and like I said me being greedy I just want to see him shoot more just because I know how efficient he is he's shooting like 43 percent from three um like some crazy stat line like that but this is another showing of how efficient he is on offense and how effective he is on defense. Yeah, no, 100%. He had the highest plus minus tonight for the Mavericks with a plus 17. And I think his defensive game will continue to evolve even more so as he's able to just get a little bit more smarter because he's already so savvy at rotating and making the right reads on that end. But once he's able to eliminate the overfouling and takes less gambles, that's when he's really – we're going to see this guy evolve into – uh, you know, potentially a top 20 defender in the league. I, I earnestly believe he can reach that pedigree at some point in his career. JaVale, like you alluded to earlier, came in because Dwight Powell picked up three early fouls. And he actually was serviceable to an extent in that second quarter and that early third quarter portion. Did a really good job on offense. He was uh, doing his little post hook stuff where he was able to get it over the top of some guys. Um, when staying in the right position, you know, he still had a few errant JaVale moments where – he was very late to rotate on defense or, um, you know, jump as the weak side help, you know, rim protector. And there was one time where he was throwing the ball in out of bounds and he, or maybe it was off of a missed and he got a, a missed shot and he got a rebound and he threw it to the wrong guy in transition. It was like an easy Pistons basket right away. So there were still some JaVale moments, but I thought he did a decent job coming in and being serviceable on offense. That's all you can ask for him at this point. We already know that, you know, his contract and the way he's played this year has sort of turned out to be this abomination. And we don't really know what his future with this team is. But I was happy to see that he at least came in and provided a solid eight points, you know, in some minutes where the Mavericks needed just the presence of a big man out there uh, because they can play small throughout stretches. But when they, you know, were really just hammering Duran and Stewart out there, you know, the Mavericks needed to fill in the gaps in those minutes and JaVale provided a fail safe there once Dwight Powell got in some foul trouble. Reggie Bullock, I thought had a decent night, you know, he still was having sort of a rough time in terms of, you know, having to guard Jaden Ivey, who he was taxed, tasked having to defend a lot of times in this game. He conceded the mid range jumper at him and let him kind of shoot over the top of him. and almost like looked scared as if he was able to get blown by. Um, so there were some inconsistencies there, but he shot the ball well. 
and he continues his very hot shooting after a very slow start to the season as we see him sort of flip the script every year. Had nine points um, on three or five shooting from three. Davis Bertans kind of played eight minutes and nothing, nothingness off the bench um, as he typically does. But that was, I mean, really it for the bench. They not a ton of help, but there I don't really have a whole lot of gripes from how they played tonight. Yeah, in terms of Bertans, I mean, like this is a guy where we've seen him have these games where he's either going off and has like nine points on three of three shooting or pretty much just does nothing out there. And this was another case of doing nothing. Um, I mean, you literally see throughout the stat line, the only stat he produced was 0 for 3 on the f- from the field and then one personal foul and eight minutes of play. Um, I mean, that's really the only thing that he can't offer if he's not making threes. So I guess in terms of the bench, that's pretty much the rundown. Um, honestly, I think in terms of as bench or in terms of how the bench is producing, this is probably one of the better games because uh, we got CJ Vale get some positive minutes. Josh Green, uh, I mean, Hardy, you know, he got his fair share of minutes where he was not effective and then effective in like one of those minutes. Um, and yeah, in terms of Reggie and Bertans, like Reggie did a really good job. Uh, but in, in, as far as the bench goes, I think that pretty much just covers it. Yeah, I know. It, it was a very, um, they definitely met par, but it was a very average game from the bench. There was no guy who really stood above the rest. I mean, I, Josh Green played really good from, you know, all areas and, you know, he had a great all around game, but he didn't, you know, stand alone in a category of excellence, you know, beside those other guys, to your point. In terms of Spencer, he went 5 of 16 from shooting, really only caught wind and uh, – or caught fire, rather, I guess, if you want to denote uh, – <laughs> give him that much credit. In that fourth quarter, at the beginning stage of the fourth quarter in those non-Luka minutes where we actually finally start, saw his uh, start – his shot start to drop a little bit. When he was playing with Luka in this game, I mean, he just wasn't assertive at all. We, started, we saw him kind of divert back to just – being a guy that just kind of stands on the corner and runs in transitions, more complimentary. But right before Lucas sprained his ankle, Spencer, I thought, was doing a much better job playing with Lucas, still fitting a need there. He obviously definitely looked winded, was missing some chippies and, you know, some threes. He normally knocks down, went 0 for 6 from 3 on the night. He was having a rough go at it offensively. You know, he has his typical sort of wishy-washy defense in this game. Do we give him an excuse because of the burden that he had to carry offensively the last two games, something that he's not necessarily accustomed to with those 35 plus point performances, or do we write this off as a very poor game for him? Uh, One of which he wasn't able to provide any sort of competent offensive basketball in really until the beginning stages of that fourth quarter. Like me personally, I'm going to give him the pass. Um, And this is just because the fashion at which he did carry the team uh, I mean, two 35-plus point performances in a row uh, and just kind of having to do the minutes that he did uh, in those two games. Now, one thing I do think, how Luca does this on a night-in, night-out basis, for, and he has been for three months or four months, however long the season has been, uh, and then the Spencer does it for two games, and it's kind of like, oh, let's give him a break. Um, but needless to say, like his, his sort of like jump hooks that we usually see – his layups that we we are accustomed to see him making just weren't falling. And I know you mentioned some of the three-pointers that he hacks up, usually go in. Uh, we didn't see a single one last night. Um, but, yeah, you know, he definitely started to pick things up in that fourth quarter. Things started to fall. Um, and I think in large part to why Spencer was so effective uh, in that two-game stretch was basically because – and I said this on the podcast. I think Luca was off the floor. Uh, and Spencer, we we know this. Like, he's, he's more effective when Luca is off the floor, and that's why he's so – like is a good two guard uh, is because he is effective whenever he's off the floor. But I think that in large part was why he was, you know, super honestly talented and was or not talented, but was really good in those two game stretches. Uh, and we just didn't really get to see him perform at the level that we were accustomed to seeing over that two game stretch. Um, now, needless to say, like I said, I'm going to give him the pass on this one because again, um, shots just really weren't falling and he did look tired at times. Uh, in that fourth quarter, it was a complete, like, script turnaround. Uh, he looked a lot better in those non-Luka minutes. He was actually, you know, finishing shots. Uh, he, I think he had 10 points in the fourth quarter. Uh, he just – he looked a lot different. But in terms of me, I'm going to give him the pass. I don't know how you feel about it. No, I definitely concur with you. But I, I do want to pose a question to you regarding him. Even if you want to make the argument that Spencer himself is better in the non-Luka minutes, which I think I would tend to agree with, are the Mavericks better as a team? when Spencer is playing assertive, when he's playing with Luca, uh, when they're together. Like when, when you're getting 
not Pete Dinwiddie, but I guess when Spencer is actually playing assertive, he's not just relegated to this guy who's standing in the corner um, in those minutes that he is with Luca. Do you think that they're better than just the, you know, solo min- uh, Luca minutes or solo Dinwiddie minutes? Yeah, I think, I think the Mavericks offense is a lot better uh, whenever he's effective and actually running the floor a little bit, whenever Luca's on the floor. Um, I think that's whenever the offense looks more fun. Like this was a game, like I hate to say it, and I, I'm not trying to take any anything away from Luca's 53-point performance, but this was a game that was honestly kind of hard to watch at times uh, just because nothing was really happening outside of Luca. Uh, and at least there's something else happening whenever Spencer's doing it. Uh, it sort of frees up the floor a little bit too yeah. whenever it's him and Luca uh, going to work. And I know, like as you mentioned before, Luca had his little ankle sprain. Uh, they were really bouncing off each other really well. Uh, Spencer was actually being assertive uh, over that like two week stretch or whatever. Um, and this was a game where it just completely erased what he did. Uh, and again, I think that's because he was tired, whatever. Uh, but yeah, I think, you know, it just frees up so much more opportunity on offense uh, for the guy, not even for those two to go to work, but for the whole team to go to work. We just kind of see, I don't want to say the cap, but we see the full potential of that Mavericks team whenever they're both bouncing off each other as they did in that two week stretch before, uh, Luca unfortunately sprained his ankle. I would agree with you 100%. I mean, just the ability of two guys to be able to play make and furbish down shot and get to the rim opens up so much more things for you offensively than just having one guy that can do that, you know, of course. And that's why even in a game where Luca scores 53, we don't see, you know, it was a good offensive game for the Mavericks last night, but it's against a very lackluster and very inexperienced Pistons team. And by no means was it a great offensive game. And there's still, we we still haven't seen that you know, distinguished explosion from them on offense, unless they just completely go away from, you know, playing any sort of defensive guys in their rotation. Um, you know, they could have the highest offensive rating if they wanted to in the league, but um, they would give up about a million points as well. So that's obviously not something we want to see. So I would definitely tend to agree with you on that standpoint. I, I thought that that was an interesting uh, point of discussion to bring up. What did you think of how Tim Hardaway Jr. shot the ball tonight? You know, he had sort of a rough go at it. You know, I, I think it was your typical, you know, bad defense off shooting night from Tim. I, I don't really know how much more I can sum it up. Yeah. It's every once in a while he plays capable defense. Not, I wouldn't say good, but he plays average defense, you know, takes a few charges. Um, tonight was one of those games where he kind of, you know, just looked lost on both sides of the ball and his shot wasn't falling and everything else kind of, you know, went in sync with that. What did you have any other thoughts on him in terms of his game tonight? Yeah, I mean, like honestly, everything you said, I think pretty much sums it up. Uh, like the only positive I can really take away from Tim defensively is he does a good job of cutting off the lane. Um, and in doing so, you know, I, I know last night he did it uh, and he unfortunately got called for a foul, but he has times where he's like able to draw multiple fouls in a game or uh, multiple charges in a game, I should say. Um, and that's sort of like the only super positive aspect of Tim's game is I want to say he's like third or fourth all time in the NBA, not all time, but uh, this season in uh, charges drawn. But needless to say, this is another game where Tim was just really ineffective on offense ineffective on defense um, would hack up shots. He went three of 10 from the field in this matchup. He would hack up shots and it just kind of looked, you know, like it was never going in from the start. Uh, and we've we've seen this from Tim over the last few weeks. Uh, it kind of seems like his, you know, sort of 27 point performances are kind of done. Um, and I don't want to take anything away because this is just I think it's like a, a little tiny slump from him because it, it seems like it's been a handful of games. Um, but yeah, I'd like to see him, you know, bounce back against the Pelicans a little bit. Uh, but needless to say, this is one of his rougher matchups defensively and offensively. Like I said, only went three for 10 from the field uh, and defensively just wasn't really able to put his wasn't really able to do anything from the start. Like I, I just, I, I didn't, you know, this is a bad game from overall. Yeah. Uh, I mean, lastly, kind of finishing with some of these other dudes, like I thought Dwight Powell, you know, he, he had some good hustle minutes. He had six offensive rebounds, was getting a lot of tip outs in this game was doing what he could. I thought Duran did a really good job mirroring him on those pick and roll scenarios and staying home. You know, Dwight Powell only had four points in this game. Just, because he really didn't have a lot of opportunities. He, he missed a few chippies off some offensive rebounds, um, had a few like putbacks that he didn't convert. But outside of that, I mean, typical Dwight Powell game, spotty defense, 
the pick and rolls, hit or miss, depending on the coverage that the other team's playing. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, that's, that's pretty much the summation of it. it he yeah. honestly, like, he sat pretty well in the dunker spot at times. No, yeah, Josh, yeah. Josh was able to find him. Luke was able to find him. But outside yeah. of that, I don't I don't think he was super effective on offense. Yeah, I would I would agree. It just really – his offensive production is very, you know, codependent on how the other team kind of guards the Mavericks. So, um, you know, he had a – he fared okay. Uh, lastly, Dorian, uh, he, he had 35 minutes in this one, only went two for five from the field. Ever since he's come back from injury, I feel like he has not really tapped into that assertiveness that we've seen from him in the past in terms of his offense. There's been spurts of it that we didn't even really see early on in the season where he's like attacked off a closeout a few times and got to the rim for some layups and like, oh, wow, this is the old Dorian or got an offensive rebound, a put back jam. But, uh, you know, a lot of the time uh, we're just seeing him pass up on a little, a lot more looks. He only shot one three tonight. He's still doing a pretty good as a defender. He, I thought he honestly did a very good job despite the stat line that he had defending Bojan Bogdanovic. Bogdanovic was making some really, really tough shots tonight, but I thought Dorian mirrored him pretty well. But offensively, he's still kind of working to get his mojo back. Could you uh, speak to maybe some of the things that Dorian has yet to fully harness coming off that um, hip abductor strain? Yeah, I think – you know, one of the things Dorian kind of elevated in his game last year was just able to, to sort of like drive off a closeout. Um, this that's a skill that we haven't really seen him work on too much this year. Uh, and like I said, like it was that was one where he really elevated last year. Um, unfortunately, though, like we've seen it at times where he's able to, you know, off the closeout drive uh, and either get an easy layup or a contested layup. Um, but this was sort of one where we just didn't even see him be super effective. Um, he's a really good, like around the arc kind of mover. Um, like he always finds the open pockets and Luca either gets it to him at the top of the key or in the corner, whatever it is. Um, but I, I just don't think, you know, in this matchup, I, I think he was, I think he had too much on his plate not too much on his plate, but I think defensively he was just looked at so much that on offense, it was sort of his rest period. And I don't, I'm not trying to take anything away from him or anything. Cause he still had a pretty good night. Um, like effective night. I think he went two for five from shooting. Uh, yeah, he did. Um, so, I, you know, not not super inefficient, but not like assertive or anything. But I just think, you know, in terms of him, he's just he just needs to be more assertive, uh, whether it's, you know, essentially creating his own offense off of closeouts or whatever it may be. Um, but yeah, he defensively, like, I think he held Boyan into check uh, pretty much three out of the four quarters. Uh, I think like heading into the fourth quarter, Boyan had like 17 points, which his average is like 24 on the year, 21, something like that. Um, so I think he did as good of a job as he could. And even whenever Boyan did start to go off, uh, it was it was tough defense. Like every shot that Boyan made was like essentially hand right in his face. Uh, and that's just Boyan being Boyan, like just handling up a shot and getting it to go. Um, and I mean, he made it look easy, but that's that's NBA talent right there. Uh but yeah, I think, you know, offensively, that was sort of the struggles that we dealt with. And then defensively, I think he had a pretty good matchup or a pretty good game, I should say. Um, like you said, on Boyan, I know he had to be switched on to Sadiq Bay at times and even guarded up Sadiq pretty well. Um, but outside of that, I think he just had a really, really efficient night defensively. And then offensively, he just, you know, it, it was one of those, you know, early season type games where he's just not really there, uh, but still finishes with a semi-decent shooting night. Yeah, no, I, I would definitely concur. And from the Pistons side of things, I mean, they didn't really do anything out of the ordinary that I think necessarily shell-shocked the Mavericks. I think the Mavericks, you know, just played down to them a lot of the time. And then when they finally were starting to pull away, Bogdanovich was making some really tough shots. But, I mean, even, you know, more so like I alluded to the in the intro, like if anything, the Pistons had, uh, you know, a bit of a, you know, they, they bared some negative regressions from some guys who, are you know pretty bad admittedly uh as far as nba goes um but maybe aren't this bad like i mean killian hayes i mean i know there's a lot of discourse on how you know sort of bus potential how much sort of bus potential he has and things of that nature but i mean he played like absolutely terrible and the mavericks were getting <laughs> whatever he wanted and he just clanked everything in, in existence it was really as simple as that two for ten from the three-point line three for 16 from the field uh, I thought both of their bigs and Duran and Stewart played their role well, you know. Kevin Knox, you know, he's he exists still. <laughs> he he I, I don't know, man. He he's still, you know, he's he's not, I guess, the dynamic scoring threat that anybody thought he was gonna be in New York, but 
he, he's a serviceable little rotation player. I didn't, I was interested to kind of see him. He had a few turnovers, but I thought he did a good job getting into the lane a couple times. Isaiah Livers, you know, I know him and Luca were chirping back each other at the end, but, um, and, you know, Luca said, asked him who he was because uh, nobody knows his name, uh, supposedly. But, uh, and admittedly, I honestly didn't know too much about him before this game. I, I vaguely remember him from that first Pistons game, but he knocked in a few threes. He's an intriguing guy. He's, he's not too terrible. Um, and they know they ha- they're veterans. You know, Alec Burks played decent. And, you know, we talked about Sadiq Bay and all that. So, I mean, the Mavericks just simply played down to their opponent uh, that they just didn't have it from their supporting cast tonight. Um, and from, you know, it, it wasn't even as really as much, I think, that it was just some sort of asinine effort from all parties involved tonight uh, where they just weren't contributing anything whatsoever. It was more so the cumulative contribution that the Mavericks role players were giving them tonight was just not enough. Like nobody was aggressive enough. Nobody was really providing anything outside of Luca. Like they were, they were basically having Luca force the issue almost every single possession. Like he, you know, I think his points created tonight was, I believe like over 70. Um, and on top of that, cause he had eight assists. I mean, he had four, he had five assists. So it might've been like 65, something like that. But I mean, he was just, look to as the absolute bulk of all offensive production and even if he wasn't necessarily the you know direct catalyst of an assist or a made basket he was still basically when he was on the floor in his 36 minutes generating basically everything um, and setting up every single play and setting up and curating you know open looks for the Mavericks even if he had to operate out of a double team or what have you. I mean, he was doing all the heavy lifting in this game. Uh, so before we end the podcast, I just wanted you to kind of speak to this upcoming trade deadline, not necessarily maybe eye, eyeballing like the Mavericks needs. You know, you don't need to go that in depth. But has this reached a point to where, you know, it is dire enough to say that the Mavericks really just don't, even if Christian even if Christian Wood was playing this game, even if Maxie's there, they have – you know, collectively failed over these last few years to adequately surround Luka Doncic with the proper talent, or or do you st- still think that you know this is still part of a plan to where they're they're going to be able to bring this thing back into full force? Or I just wanted to kind of get your thoughts on their standing from that aspect. I I think yeah, like I, honestly, I don't really know. I mean, the Mavericks they can go down two different routes, and each route is going to be extremely different in the outlook of the team in the future. Like the Mavericks can either hold still, uh, make a few, you know, minor trades that they think is going to work in the future, or, you know, they not go all in, but they can, you know, pick a Bojan in the team, you know, a guy where you're going to have to trade a first round pick for, uh, but ultimately he's going to make you better this season. Um, I know Bojan's a guy who's a little bit older and everything like that. So that that's sort of like the dilemma that this team is having to face uh, is bouncing future on top of now. Right. And I mean, you have a win now guy in Luca, so it's kind of like, how do you keep him happy? Uh, but also, how do you prepare for the future? Um, and honestly, I don't really, you know, I, of course, I don't have the answers. You know, I'm not credentialed enough to even, you know, talk to anybody or anything like anything like that. But just sort of, you know, the the hearings around the word, like, you know, do the Mavericks go not all in this off season? But uh, I mean, do they pick a guy like a Boyan? Not necessarily a guy who's going to push you up on the championship sort of echelon, but a guy who sort of moves the needle. Or do you take a guy like Cam Reddish, someone who you know has future benefits, assuming they work out? Um, but again, it's going to take some time to you know sort of create his mold on this team. Um, and again, you know, like I said, like I don't really know. Uh, I personally, I think the season's kind of long gone. I think the season. Uh, at this point, especially with the stretch of, you know, how many games they've lost, I think you pretty much boot this season. Try and make the playoffs. Uh, if you make the play-in tournament, cool. Try and make the playoffs again. Uh, but I think this is one where you pretty much put up the white flag in terms of going after – or not going after, but put up the white flags um, in terms of, you know, pushing your team into that second round or even Western Conference Finals-esque type roster – um, and getting that second guy on your roster. I think you put up the white flag for that scenario. And I think, you know, me personally, I would prepare for the future. I think next year the Mavericks have some money in cap uh, that they can work around and, you know, hopefully they do the right moves that, uh, you know, sort of, 
I guess, weaponize them for a next year run. But I, I think that, yeah, pretty much this season, I think you just have to move on, uh, get the guys that you need for next season. And that, that's how I would look at this offseason. Or look at this trade season, my bad. Yeah, I mean, they are pretty hard-pressed in terms of their cap space situation until about 2025. So and any leniency that they make here in terms of improving the roster is going to be via trade, whether it's this offseason or at the deadline. And we'll divulge more heavily into it in terms of our opinions regarding what exactly we think the direction of this team should be, whether you know it's taking a step back to take a step forward and getting a little bit younger, or if they really should go all in at this trade deadline, right? That's something that we'll divulge into more when we get into our trade deadline podcast that we have upcoming tomorrow. And then uh, we'll do one more before the deadline, of course. But at the same time, um, it, it's a very hard balancing act. And I do think, though, that, you know, I, I've sort of avoided the discourse regarding this. We obviously allude to Luca getting more help and things of that nature. But I do think it's at a point now where Luca you know, is, I mean, the national spotlight on it is, you know, has, has obviously expedited quite a bit since the beginning of the season, just in terms of him needing help. And I don't know, I, I do, I do think it's reached a point to where he um, is, may start to get disgruntled. I mean, yeah, he's a happy-go-lucky guy, but I mean, he, he's playing with a lot of fire and passion. I mean, you see what this guy pours in a night out, night out basis, a night in, night out basis. Uh, you know, we saw him getting fiery with the Pistons coach tonight, you know, after the game, you know, saying when he was the Pistons coach, which contesting him, the assistant coach it was, and I forget the guy's name in that first quarter. Yeah, um, he was, uh, they were obviously batting heads. And then, you know, I'm sure you've seen it on ESPN or wherever, but his interview with Skin Wade, where Luca was like, hey, like, you know, he, he was talking trash. So I'm just going to come here and play ball. Like, and proceeds to go score 53. I mean, like, this is legendary stuff that we're seeing out of this guy to an extent. I don't care how old he is or, you know, if he still has yet to reach his prime. I mean, he, you have to be able to harness the um, potential of this team with him as with him as the, uh, the spearhead and him as the leader. And I, I just believe that they're simply not doing that right now. And I know that it's a challenge. I know that he may have been too good, too fast for them to accumulate the necessary draft assets or free agent signings and things of that nature. But, um, you know, whether we want to go to Donnie Nelson or Nico Harrison's terms on this team, you know, we can, there's, they may not just be complete objective failures, but at the very least they've been subpar. And there's a lot of things that we can micro critique and tell them that they could have improved upon. And that's discarding whatever, you know, Cuban is doing behind the scenes, whatever input he has and whatever, he is micromanaging behind the scenes and however much he controls things like that, that's really just from, you know, the, the trade aspect and things of that nature. So, you know, we could talk about it all day and we will on our trade podcast coming up, but this, this game, I think out of any game this season was the biggest far cry to get Luka Doncic help. Yeah, for sure. I completely agree. This is one where everybody but Luka looked helpless at times. So, yeah. No, and uh, we will be back tomorrow with our trade deadline podcast. We finally have two days in between games, so we are hyped to do this. Should be back with the full gang. Rodrigo should be joining us again, but if he doesn't, me and Jaron will be here, and we'll be doing the podcast for you guys. Just happy that the Mavericks are still treading water. You know, we they still kind of have yet to pick up a pick a direction this season, but if they don't pick a direction soon, if they don't, we'll see what happens at the trade deadline. That's going to constitute what what direction they pick in. Yeah, if they don't pick a direction soon, then they're going to be in this sort of stage of mediocrity this season. They're going to be around this 500 marker probably for the rest of the year. And they're going to be in that play in echelon, like we've been alluding to on this podcast, or, you know, maybe slightly above that. So we'll kind of see how things go. But for right now, that's just sort of the state of the team. That's, you know, they, they get an injury or two. This is just sort of the ceiling of this team is to be in that play in, you know, 500 echelon. So if they can, a win is a win at the end of the day. Like we always say, this isn't a team that has, we, we all, you know, we can nitpick everything we want, but at the end of the day, we, this roster doesn't really give us the luxury to be able to, you know, micro critique, micro critique wins at the end of the day, we have to enjoy it to an extent, right? Because yeah. next game could be a really bad loss, but we're 27, 25 right now. There is a, between the Western conference standings between four and 13 at the moment, there is only four games of parity. So, I mean, it's not, it's not completely ridiculous to, to say the Mavericks could be out of the playoffs completely this year. Like who knows what's going to happen. 
Uh, but we just need to keep treading water because if we're going to be in this mediocre state, uh, let's at least get some wins, right? That's at least let's have some fun with it, right? Because yeah. it, 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 that's just sort of the state of the union right now. Um, you know, I'll, I'll save the, my whole state of the union, Abraham Lincoln address for the, the next podcast when I really. This will, that'll into, be, yeah, that'll be our like, yeah, pre trade podcast. We, the state of the team podcast always transcend the post game podcast because I get much more passionate and fiery. I hold back everything right now. But we will be getting into all that and divulging into all that for you guys on Wednesday night. And yeah, we we honestly, I think we will probably post it. Uh, we, if we have time, we may record midday Wednesday as ice storm in Dallas. It's sort of relegating all of our other endeavors to the side right now. So we will get that out early if we can. But if not, it'll come out the latest Wednesday night before midnight. Hopefully, uh, the absolute worst, you guys, it'll be in your podcast inboxes sometime early on Thursday morning and then the Mavericks play Thursday and we will have a post game podcast for that of course as well thank you guys for listening if you got this far in the pod if you're listening on YouTube or watching on YouTube rather make sure to like comment and subscribe down below comment who you would like to see the Mavericks go get at the NBA trade deadline this trade deadline if it trade deadline is February 9th who is your number one target for the Mavericks if you guys are listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, make sure to subscribe and give us a five-star rating if you enjoy our stuff. We really appreciate you guys. And um, I feel like I'm missing one other thing right now. I typically – Chris Silva. What? Oh, Chris Silva. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no. I, yeah. Okay, so before we end this podcast, sorry for um, prolonging and premeditating that outro. But the Mavericks signed Chris Silva to a 10-day contract today, a sort of switchable wing. He's 26, coming out of the College Park Skyhawks, another South Carolina Gamecock, just like A.J. Lawson. He is a guy that has the – he's sort of a you know very versatile defender, can kind of guard one through five to an extent. Uh, he's you know big, long, good rebounder. Difficulties in terms of his NBA career have really came at the offensive end. He just really hasn't carved out a role on that side of things, it's kind of been just a guy that operates in the short role, not really a guy who's found a shot whatsoever, very much like a Rondé Hollis Jefferson type guy in terms of the comp that I would give him with the Mavericks to attend a contract this morning with their open roster spot that was vacant after the Kemba Walker waving. So I'm excited for that. Uh, let's see if he actually cracks the rotation, any sort of yeah. manner. I don't know if he will, but he's on a 10 day contract. It gives the Mavericks a little more flex- flexibility to, do a two for one trade and things of that nature. Uh, maybe the Mavericks are trying to stack on some wing depth for a trade. Maybe Dorian's like, I don't know, but there's a lot of rumors and stuff that we will be divulging into our trade podcast. We know a lot's came out over the last few days. We're not negligent towards it. We're not just blind to everything that's coming out. There's a reason that we're saving it for the trade deadline podcast. We're not talking about it in the post game podcast, but with that being said, um, you know, we really appreciate you guys for listening this far in the podcast. And, you know, if you don't have anything else, Darren, we will catch you guys after, or no, not after the post game, no, no, but no. tomorrow night. Yeah, tomorrow, tomorrow night. night. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Bye bye.